and I'm glad to be back. <clears throat> After uh, last week, a retreat on spiritual warfare, I'm glad to be anywhere at all. It was a rough week. We have a phenomenal <clears throat> uh, series of messages from the Word coming uh, beginning in May on spiritual warfare. I hope you won't miss that, and I hope you will bring your friends to it. Um, Please know when I say that, we're not talking about churches or changing churches or getting big, being a bigger church. There is just some messages that everyone needs to hear, and these are some of them. You will know if you've been here a while that we are uh, just beginning a 10-year vision of spiritual maturity, and we are laying the foundation just right now as to what we need before we, be going, uh, before we can possibly go on to spiritual maturity. What I want to talk about this morning is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, in the, the book of Acts, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples after his resurrection. And in verse 5, uh, chapter 1, he says, um, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit and not many days from now. And then in verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now, before I, I go on to something, let me just say to you how important it is to access, access the spiritual realm in order to lead the spiritual life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus refers several times to the spiritual realm as distinct from the physical realm. In verse 3, he says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he says, Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In verse 12, he says, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, I'm going to tell you more about that later on, but I want you to see the distinction that Jesus is beginning to form in the minds of his followers. There is a physical realm. There is a spiritual realm. And after you become a Christian... There is no way you can really live in the spirit in the physical realm unless you access the spiritual realm. Uh, live according to the ways of God. You can live according to the ways of man. I heard a story once about a little uh, a teacher who was trying to teach her her class uh, great American sayings, you know. And she said, "Okay," um, and she told them what they were beforehand, and and then she rehearsed them. And she said, "Okay, a stitch in time," and they all said, "Saves nine," you know. And then she went down a couple more, and she said, and she said, and she got to, cleanliness is next to, there was silence. There was silence. Finally, this one little kid raised his hand and said, impossible? <laughs> I want to tell you that godliness is next to impossible without the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, it is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Before I really get into this, I want to tell you about the great need I see in the church today. The great need I see in the church today is to mount an offense instead of being dug in a defense. The church has yet to learn what, what the military is learning in Operation Desert Storm, that the best defense is a good offense. We have yet to learn that. 
I see people every week coming in so beaten by the world and they keep using the word cope. If I can just cope. If I can just get past this week. And I feel so bad. All of us keep falling back into that. And it is not where God ever intended us to live. God intended us to live out of a sense of power. You know, after Jesus said those uh, those words to his disciples, they went into a defensive posture, into a prayer. And then the Holy Spirit came, and guess what? The same people that were cowering the day before were taking it to the world the day after. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to... You know what the church looks like? I heard a story one time about... Uh, about uh, a lady who calls up a, a, a poison line. You know, you've got these poison numbers you can dial. And she says, I'm in terrible shape. I'm, I, this is awful. My dog has gotten into my medicine cabinet and eaten four rolls of antacids. What do I do? And she hears this voice in the background saying, take, take him out for Mexican. <laughs> I feel like the church is coming in just wanting antacids when we really need to be taken out for Mexican. There has got to be something more powerful than just passing by and not suffering too much. One of my favorite bumper stickers is, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. I would say to the church, if you think defense or offensive is hard, try defense. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're living our whole lives in a posture of defensiveness. And that's not how God intended. So God sent... The Holy Spirit. Now, I want to tell you a couple of things this morning. First, I want to talk with you about who the Holy Spirit is. And then I want to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. First of all, we all need to know, we all need to remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, in Romans 8.27, it says, it talks about the Holy Spirit in, in, in 8.26 and the and the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, not it, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit has a mind. He could think. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit has feelings. He can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You understand? What happens to, to all of us is in our, you know, whether it's New Ageism, where we boil down the Spirit to a force, you know, all the Star Trek uh, or Star Wars people. Uh, there were some good things in there, but it's basically, uh, okay, it's a force, you know. I can access a force. I can control a force. I don't have to have a relationship with a force. You have to have a relationship with a person. That's tough. And something in me doesn't quite know how to become intimate, but I can access a force. Or there are those of us who come from backgrounds, me included, who want to get the Holy Spirit down to something in something. I can remember being a United Methodist pastor and wearing the robes and the liturgical colors, and, oh, I look glorious on Sunday morning. And I remember this little Catholic boy one, one Sunday who was coming to the church, coming up, and, and kneeling before me and holding up his cross and saying, Dr. Hunter, would you bless this cross so I can have good luck? And I thought, 
how symbolic of all humans that they would want to contain their fortunes in something they could hold and see and feel. That's who we are. But God does not send you something that you can control or contain. God does not send you something at all. God sends himself. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I also want you to know that the Holy Spirit has been around for all of the ages. He didn't just get here at Pentecost. If you were reading the Old Testament, in the first verse, I mean, or in the first chapter, it says, what moved over the, the, the face of the deep? The Spirit of God moved over the face of the deep. He was, he was in the creation. The Spirit um, um, filled people up in, in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 40, 38, I think it is, that says, uh, they're talking about Joseph interpreting a dream, and they say, he is inhabited by a Spirit of God. And the same thing with Daniel. But there's a different character in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. The Spirit moves around. He is not a permanent fixture. If you will turn, uh, for example, to 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 and 14, this is a perfect example of how the Old Testament pictures the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit um, moves and works in the Old Testament. This is Samuel, and he is about to anoint... David. And in verse 13 it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now look at the very next verse. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. I'll explain that to you when we get into spiritual warfare. But, but I want you to know the movement. The, 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 and, and David used to cry out, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See? The Holy Spirit was something that sometimes inhabited, sometimes came upon. The two Hebrew words are Beth and El. Sometimes it was in them, sometimes it was upon them, but it was never permanent. But God built up. God built up the expectation that it could be permanent. And Jesus, when he was here, promised that it would be permanent. If you'll turn to John 14, 17, he is talking to his disciples. He is talking about when he leaves, the helper will come. And I want to show you what he says. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, But you know him, now listen to this, because he abides with you, para, alongside. The Holy Spirit is, remember, um, called the paraclete in the Old Testament. A paraclete, uh, or in the New Testament, I'm sorry, in in a paraclete uh, in Greek is is someone who comes alongside a a soldier (laughs) in order to build him up in the midst of battle, in order to give him refuge. In Latin, he's called the comforter. He who comes, uh, comfort literally means with strength. Come means with. Fortis comes from a word named, named strength. So the Holy Spirit is one who comes with strength, to give you strength. Okay, now Jesus says, but you know him because he abides with you, that is alongside of you, and look at the verb tense, will be in you. 
So Jesus promises the day when the Holy Spirit will come and make his dwelling with us. Now let's talk about what has happened since Pentecost. Let's let's talk about what happens now when we invite Jesus into our lives. When you invite Jesus into your lives, the Holy Spirit is not separated from Christ. If Christ is living in your heart, the Holy Spirit's living in your heart. One of the first things that happens, the Bible says, is that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in other words, makes you God's own. Think of registered mail. In registered mail, nobody can open up that envelope except the sender and he who signs for it, the intended receiver. Within your sealing, God is both the sender and the receiver. You are kept until the day when God will open you up again. Now, this has two very practical, very practical meanings. Number one is that you don't have to worry about anybody can come in and take God away from you. You're already sealed. That's one of the reasons I don't believe that Satan can read your mind. I don't believe Satan can um, get in uh, in anywhere um, that is only sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I do believe it's real easy for him to get to know what you're thinking because we say what we're thinking. The Bible says that whatever is uh, comes out of the mouth shows what's in the heart. And so God just or Satan just watches every word. He can know he knows perfectly well who you are. He watches he watches your behavior. He can tell you exactly what you're going to be thinking. You can't read your mind because you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the second thing that ought to do for you is give you a great deal of assurance that God's not going to lose you. You know, the people friends of God suffer no permanent harm. You will go through tribulation. Jesus said that there is tribulation in this world. One of the things that we're going to discover is what's the difference between natural tribulation that everybody goes through, Christian or not, and what is the difference between that and a spiritual warfare that you can put behind you and you can get victory over. And you don't need to go through again and again. There's a big difference. But anyhow, so you're sealed. Secondly, you need to know that... And by the way, one of the references for that sealing is uh, 2 Corinthians First chapter, 22nd verse, where he talks about, He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now, let's talk about what is probably the more controversial and sometimes confusing um, um, aspects of the Holy Spirit, language about the Holy Spirit. There are basically three terms that people use for the Holy Spirit and and how he is involved in our lives. One is the indwelling. One is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one is being filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll warn you ahead of time that the the controversial term, the, the term that creates the most misunderstanding because of denominationalism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many of you who come from a mainline denomination equate the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There are others of you who come from a Pentecostal background who equate the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, no matter how you use that, I want to tell you that there are dangers in both of those positions. Number one, by the way, if if you will look um, um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13... 
Paul writes this. It shows you the it shows you the uh, the purpose for which we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And keep in mind here that he is talking to the church at Corinth. He is not talking to mature Christians. He just got done reaming them out a few chapters ago that he couldn't even speak to them as spiritual people. He had to speak to them as natural people. Not all of them speak in tongues. He just says at the end of that chapter, uh, do all speak in tongues? No, all do not speak in tongues, do they? So therefore, not all of them have had certain manifestations yet of the Holy Spirit. But yet, look what he says here. He says, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. He's not talking about water baptism. By one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Now, don't miss this. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you are equating baptism with indwelling, let me tell you what happens. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you become a new creature. Right? You become a new creation. What happens at the moment of your acceptance of Jesus Christ is the source for your strength changes. You are now made, in Greek it's a word that means recreated, you are now recreated to drink of the Spirit. And therefore, those of us who go along in life trying to manage from our own worldly resources are going to be more frustrated, more fatigued, more tired than we can possibly imagine. If we can't manage the physical life by ourselves, how in the world can we manage the spiritual life in the physical world by ourselves? You know why? Because we're not drinking of the Spirit. We were recreated to drink of the Spirit when we became Christians. That's what we need to do. Now, please know that that the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, just as Jesus promised. The Bible says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit resides in you. Very important to remember. Um... Romans 8 9 says, If you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are not His. So therefore, the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit does come and live in you. He is resident in you. Okay? Not president yet, but He is resident in you. And if you do not learn how to use what is inside of you... One time I was jogging in Indiana. This is before I got old. My knees gave out and... and, and I was out in the middle of a, a good run. I was probably six miles out in the country. And the, and the air was stagnant that day. And there wasn't just a lot moving. And it was humid. And it, humid, and it had just rained. And, and uh, I was really struggling for every breath. And I hit. You know, you can hit different air pockets. You guys who, who ride motorcycles, you know there are air pockets, don't you? I mean, you, you, you hit a cold air pocket. You hit a warm air pocket. I hit an air pocket when I was running. Running is probably a... An exaggeration. I waddled. I waddled fast. So I'm going along, struggling for every breath. I hit this air pocket that is the most awful smell I've ever smelled in my life. And I looked on either side. You know, I opened my eyes long enough. I I have a real twisted face when I run. I opened my eyes long enough. On both sides was a hog farm. And it had just rained and freshened up that particular odor. And I'm thinking, 
this is awful. I'm going to try not to breathe very much. (laughs) Well, about five steps down the road, my body's saying, you idiot. You think you cannot breathe when we're running this hard? So I gave it up and I breathed as hard as I could. And I, that's the way I survived. Well, look, if you, don't, if you don't access what is dwelling inside of you, it's like running in this life and not being able to breathe very much. You can't do it. You've got to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I got off on a track there. I, I do this often. The shortcoming of people who say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that they just leave the baptism there. They don't talk about it much anymore. You don't, talk, you don't hear mainline churches really talk about how to live in the Spirit or access the power of the Holy Spirit. Because they just say, it's there, it's permanent. Okay, it's yours, you figure out how to do it. By the same token, those who, who um, make the baptism of the Holy Spirit synonymous with the filling of the Holy Spirit concentrate so much on the signs that they don't realize that the filling can be lost. And therefore, they are not uh, really the people who remind us, or the tradition that reminds us, the difference between indwelling and filling. Now, let me tell you what the difference is. i got several categories, and you might want to jot these down. By the way, the, 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 the scripture for the filling of the Holy Spirit that is often quoted is Ephesians 5.18. And that is a command. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Now, that tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that we have responsibility to do something in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a, a, an indicative. It's not, it doesn't say you are filled with the Holy Spirit or God's going to do it on his own time in his own way. Don't you worry about it. There's a command. There's an order there that we need to respond to. Number two... The, 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 the verb tense in Greek is present imperative. Whenever you have a present imperative verb tense in Greek, it is a command to do something in the future that requires continuous or repeated action. And therefore, the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't come just once. It is something we have to do again and again and again and again. You know why? Because we leak. We leak. It says in Jeremiah, it calls us cisterns that leak. And therefore, let me, let me differentiate for you between the, and for our purposes, I will use indwelling slice baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the different characteristics. Number one, the indwelling slash baptism comes once. Filling is a repeated experience. Number two, the indwelling Slice baptism came upon uh, came at Pentecost on in history, and the filling of the Holy Spirit happened all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, you can you can read it. I mean, God variously at times filled people with His Holy Spirit for His own purposes. Number three, the indwelling slice baptism is for all Christians. The filling of the Holy Spirit is only for some Christians, those who decide to do it. Number four, the indwelling is permanent. The filling can be lost. Number five, the indwelling has to do with our position in Christ. 
The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with power. With the power of Christ in us. And lastly, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit has to do with faith. That's all it takes is faith. But the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with yieldedness. It has to do with asking. Now let me tell you very simply how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first requirement to be filled with the Holy Spirit is that we must repent of our sins. And that stops people dead in their tracks. You want to know why more people aren't filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, we haven't been taught. But number two, we don't want to quit sinning, thank you very much. We like it like this. And if I can go on sinning, I learned how to cope. I've learned how to cope. I'll be all right. Let me tell you something. God is not going to fill you with power to enable you to sin. That would not be a loving act. Sin destroys our lives. God doesn't want to see us destroyed. It has nothing to do with being with us or not being with us. It has nothing to do with wanting to punish us. It has everything to do with loving us enough, not wanting to empower us so that we can continue in our sin. The Bible very clearly says that the same fountain does not pour forth fresh water and bitter water. This is in James. And a fig tree doesn't produce olives and a, and a, and a vine doesn't produce figs. And God is not going to come in with a mixture of sin and agree to abide in a person who will not repent of their sins. It's just that simple. And he won't do it because he loves us. So the first thing you have to decide if you want the power of God is whether or not you want to, or you are willing to, nobody wants to, but whether or not you are willing to give up known sin. Number two, If you're willing to give that up, ask Him to fill you with His Spirit. It's that simple. It was that simple to become saved. You ask Jesus into your heart. You say, Jesus, come and live in my heart. And by your lips, He did. And by the intention of your heart, He did. And you were saved. Listen, it's not any more complicated to live in power. Ask Him daily or maybe multiple times per day to come and fill you up and then watch what he does keep aware of what God is doing through your life that you couldn't possibly do without him in there now here's a secret and it shouldn't be a secret at all most people when they become Christians become Christians of very good intentions and they want to follow God they really do however somewhere along the line They get the idea that the way to please God is to root sin out of their life. And so they begin to pay more attention to their sin than they do to God. Very good intentions. But anyone can tell you who has been through this that the more more attention you give to a compulsion, the more powerful it becomes. Most sin is obsessive compulsive behavior. That is our ongoing sin. And the more attention you give that, the more you feed it. You know, you can do without your pornography for one night. But what do you, what do you think of more than anything? Oh, gosh, gee. Well, I could be doing this right now. The Bible says if you, throw out, if you throw out demons and you leave the house empty, what's going to happen? It's going to be worse than before. 
we try to do without as a, re- as, a, as a remedy to our sin. And the Bible has just the opposite remedy. Dwight L. Moody used to, used to do this. He used to put an empty glass on a table and he said, and he'd say, he'd challenge people, get the air out of there. And boy, they'd, they'd go like this and they'd say, well, you got a vacuum pump. If we put a vacuum pump, we could suction all of the air out of, the, out of there. And Dwight L. Moody said, yeah, but then the glass would collapse. Just get the air out of there. And finally, when they couldn't think of how to do it, he took a pitcher of water and poured it to overflowing. Wasn't any air in it, just water. You want to get the sin out of your life? Don't pay attention to the sin. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they can't live in the same place. They can't live in the same place. Again and again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit does other things. He gifts you, and we're going to discover what your spiritual gifts are. He, he gives you an ability for ministry because He loves you that much because He doesn't want you to live on the defensive. He wants you to live on the offensive. He wants you to take the gifts and the love of God to the world. That's what He wants. And so He gifts you. And whether or not you know your gift, God will still use you. There's a kind of a pendulum theology here, by the way. Some people say, I'm not going to do a thing till I know what my spiritual gift is. And then I'll know I'm moving out in God. And there are some people who say, ah, you know, gifts, those were for the first century, and we don't really have spiritual gifts anymore. Well, yeah, you do. You do. The Bible is very clear. There's no timeline on that. We, do, we are gifted in certain areas, and God will use you. But it is a wonderful, releasing, freeing thing to learn how you've been gifted, how you've been wired so that you can be even more effective in your ministry and you can operate on strengths rather than weaknesses. And the the Bible also says that that God, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, convicts us and that he guides us and that he prays uh, for us when we don't know how to pray. You know, when you don't know how to pray, and a lot of you don't, you can still just say, God, I don't know how to pray. Just glorify yourself. I'm just yielded here. And I want you however you want to, to glorify. If you, want, if you bring something to my mind, I'll pray it back to you. I don't know how to pray. I just want to pray. And the Holy Spirit helps you in that. So that the Bible has all kinds of actions that the Holy Spirit does. But here's what I want you to remember, and here's what I want to send you out with. You are given the power. You are not given to defense. Defense will wear you out. It will take away Not only joy, but it will take away your desire even to go to the battle. So, you need to start thinking. One of my favorite, oh, I love this story. I love to tell this story. About the football coaches and the football coach and the scouts. How long ago did I tell you this story? Some of you know it, don't you? Yeah, okay. Well, listen to it again, because some don't. But it illustrates the point perfectly. This head football coach is talking to his scouts who are going to go out and find football players for the college. And he's saying, men, when you get out there, you're going to find a player who gets knocked down on the field, and after he gets knocked down, he won't get back up. And the scouts go, we don't want him, do we, coach? Coach says, no, we don't want him. And he says, and there's going to be other guys. You knock him back down, and he gets back up, and you knock him back down, and he gets back up, and you knock him back down, and he stays down. And one of the other scouts says, we don't want him, do we, coach? No, we don't want him. He says, but there's another kind of player that you knock him back down and get back up and you knock him back down and get back up and he, he gets knocked down, he gets back up and he gets knocked down and, he, and it doesn't matter how many times he gets 
knocked down, he will get back up. And the scout jumps up and says, that's the guy we want. And the coach says, no, it's not. We want the guy who's knocking everybody down. <laughs> it's exactly what God wants. Exactly what God wants. He's not so concerned with your perseverance. He's concerned with your use. God can do wonderful things with your life. And He intends to. And there is such a dramatic difference when the Holy Spirit... I still remember the time that I gave my ministry to the Holy Spirit. I was in the ministry five or six years before I even knew that, the, that God could empower whatever I was doing with this Holy Spirit and He could carry it out. And I remember the radical change that came over my ministry and is still, is still happening because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that's like too. You know the times when you say things you've never even thought about before. You've, you, have not, you have no conception of why you said them, but you said them and it touched the exact spot that that person needed. I've told you again and again, repeatedly, and this still happens, I have people come up to me and say, you know, when you said such and such in that sermon, it changed my life. And I cannot remember saying such and such. And I will go back and listen to the tapes. And I never said any such a thing. And what they did is heard directly the voice of God. Because that's exactly what I pray before every sermon. Is God, don't let them listen to my words. Let them listen to your words. And that's exactly what he does supernaturally. He knows what you need to hear. God wants to use you the same way. Will you pray with me? Lord God, help us not just to cope with life and to get through it without sinning too much. What a silly plan. Help us to know that we were made for a purpose. And the purpose will never be achieved under our own strength or under our own guidance. It will only be achieved through the power of your Spirit living in us and through a relationship with you that is totally supernatural. God, come, fill our lives. There are those of us who are willing to give up our sin because we take a look at it and we have trouble remembering what we saw in its favor in the first place. There are some here who are just trying to decide whether or not they would like to live in that kind of power uh, rather than live in this kind of sin. Convict, Lord. Just nail us until we come to live in you in freedom and in peace and in joy. Because that's what we were made for. Come fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.